Today on a very special episode of InfoBlast. InfoBlast! Your usual host, Nick Job, is not here, so I, Jason Soto, will be taking over hosting duties. And we are going to talk about one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Mystery Science Theater 3000. I'm, I'm still here, people, by the way. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Info Blast, a history, a quick history podcast. Although I'm gonna be honest, I don't know how quick today's episode's gonna be because it's a topic I'm very passionate about. Uh, I am your substitute teacher, Jason Soto. Hello, uh, joined by the uh, usual co-host, Rob Branch. Hello, Rob. I was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. No, so Nick is on vacation this week, but he didn't want to miss a show, and uh, I said, "Hey, I can step in and talk about one of my favorite TV shows of all time," because uh, I think the making of it's pretty interesting. And show must go on. And Nick was like, "Yeah, okay, by all means, go ahead." So here, here I am. Uh, I'm going to educate Rob on the history and making of a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ooh, ooh. Now, Rob, I, I, I do know you. I know you are a fan of the show. You've seen the show. Um, yes, I have. I've not, um, I, I don't have an understanding of how deep you like the show. Like, how, how much into the show are you into? Excuse me. I watched it since its original birth. Um, I don't know the history, the making of. So I'm really kind of stoked about that. Okay. Um, I've watched the original. I've, I I kind of fell in love with the original and everybody after that was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Doctor Who. You you have your favorite doctor. And then after that, everybody's like, meh, I just want to see how the story goes, you know? Um, I've, Joel, yeah, Joel's obviously my favorite, and um, I've I've watched it through the through the uh, the lifespan of it, and I've also watched riff tracks. I've listened to a lot of riff tracks because I know okay. that they they branched off and they did that. So yep. you know, yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I would say I'm a I'm, I'm a connoisseur of MS MST3K. Sorry, I just <laughs> literally woke up like. <laughs> 20, 25 minutes ago man it was it was i, I deserved to sleep in for this year okay so yeah you're yeah, fine I, I woke up like okay. 25 minutes ago so uh, okay. yeah yeah i'm a huge fan huge huge fan all right awesome well okay well let's go ahead and just get started let's get into the to the history of the show before we get to the show though we got to talk about the man who created the show and let's dive into his background just a little bit Gene Roddenberry. Um, there we, we go. Are, <laughs> he is the Gene Roddenberry of the MST world. His uh, name is Joel Hodgson. Uh, Joel Gordon Hodgson, to be more specific. Uh, he was born on February 20th, 1960. Uh, he shares a birthday with your host, Nick Job. Oh, there's a tidbit there. Nick. And our fellow uh, Rabbit Hole podcaster, Lisa Leahy, also. They all, they all share a birthday, so we have a very interesting awesome. connection there. Um, yeah, so Joel, uh, he, was, he was born in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Uh, he would later move to Green Bay, and his parents were evangelical Christians. And uh, mm-hmm. while going to a church, Joel... 
uh, would um, would learn of his desire to become an entertainer. Uh, in the seventh grade, he started to dabble in magic. He became a magician and a ventriloquist. Um, he would uh, he would perform at all kinds of events in Green Bay. He would do like talent shows at his schools, um, and then he eventually would uh, go to uh, Bethel University in Minnesota to study theater and mass media. While there, he uh, further developed his magic act uh, by adding comedy. He became a, a, a comedic uh, magician, uh, such as like the Amazing Jonathan or um, I'm trying to think of another uh, one. God rest his soul. Yeah. Oh yes, he did die recently. Yes, absolutely. He just passed away not so long ago. Yeah. Um. Uh. So Joel would hone his uh skills as a magician and he would kind of borderline be a prop comic um although i think he doesn't really like that term uh because he would basically his act would be like him showing these inventions and that's going to be very important later on he he would invent these very interesting comedic devices um that he would he would eventually um you know incorporate into his show later on uh in 1981 he won a campus comedy contest and the first annual twin cities comedy invitational in 1982 so he was moving up in the comedy world uh he would eventually move to la and he became a regular performer at the comedy store and the hollywood magic castle if you know what the magic castle is it's a oh, very yeah. oh, it's a yeah. very big deal in 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 uh in uh in la uh, there at the at the at the comedy magic castle uh he was spotted by a producer of a late night with david letterman and offered him a act on on david letterman and so uh, he would eventually make an appearance on Letterman. Uh, and through this, he would meet a producer of Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels. And Lorne was very taken on by him, where he would put him oh, on shit. SNL as well. Yes, absolutely. Things, when was he on SNL? Like in the very early 80s. Like if, you know, the, the 80s version of SNL is way different than the oh, yeah. SNL now. Like more SNL different. was more of a definitely a variety show. It wasn't just a sketch show, so like, it wasn't all just sketches. It would be like, here's a comedian doing an act. Now here's the musical guest, and then here's another. Here's a magician, and that's where Andy Kaufman would, you know, he would do his thing on Saturday Night Live. He oh, would, okay. so yeah, it was a very different show back days back then. So he would, uh, so Lauren would have Joel on to do his act on Saturday Night Live. He made he made four appearances on SNL, four appearances on Letterman. Uh, he would uh, show up on HBO's eighth annual Young Comedian Special, hosted by John Candy, uh, and he got to perform. Mommy. He got to perform with the likes of Bill Maher, Paula Poundstone, and the amazing Jonathan we just mentioned. He would hang around in L.A. for a little bit. Um, okay, so it'd be during this time where he would meet um, Joel would meet NBC programming chief Brandon uh, Tartikoff. Uh, the name may sound familiar. He's the same guy that's responsible for bringing Seinfeld into the world. Um, uh, Brandon Tartikoff would offer Joel a 
uh, sitcom on uh, NBC. He he liked Joel's act so much. He's like, hey, I'll give you a starring role on, on a sitcom on NBC. There was a script produced. Joel read it, and he turned it down saying he felt like uh, uh, it it just wasn't funny. Like it, it just he didn't find it funny. It wasn't his kind of humor apparently. Um, the executives they would take Damn. this they would take this to mean that this was a bargaining ploy, and so they offered him again, and they tripled the amount of money they first offered. Uh, Joel, who by the way is like the nicest guy in Hollywood, he's super nice. None of this made him into a jerk or anything. He just uh, he was just a nice guy. He was kind of appalled at at this because he he was very adamant with, hey, I want to work on something that I think is funny, and this script is not funny. Um, and for anyone wondering, uh, the show was called High School USA, uh, which oh. Joel said was basically a Fast Times at Ridgemont High ripoff. Um, they would it interestingly enough they would go on to make the show without Joel. They would get somebody else. But it only had three episodes before NBC yanked it off. Wow. <laughs> so a little jaded from Hollywood, Joel goes back to uh, goes back home. Uh, he goes back home to um, Minnesota, and there in Minnesota, we're now in uh, nineteen. It's now between nineteen eighty four and nineteen eighty eight. He goes back home. He works some local clubs. Uh, he, he writes some, uh, specials for other people. He was considered for the role of Woody Boyd in Cheers. I want to put that out there. Like, Aww. there's that. Like, Joel could have been Woody. <laughs> he could have had Woody Harrelson's career. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> I can't even imagine Joel as, uh, what's his name in Natural Born Killers. That'd be so <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> okay, so anyway... In 1987, Joel is going to meet a man named Jim Mallon. Jim Mallon is, uh, at this time, the production manager at a UHF station in St. Paul, Minnesota, called KTMA Channel 23. Um, another interesting tidbit. Right around this time, again, Joel like is really big in the comedy world in the 80s. He's, he's super well-known, popular. He almost... Speaking of almost roles, this guy is like the king of almost roles. Not only was he almost yeah, Woody Boyd, that. was he not only was he the role, almost got the role of Woody Boyd in Cheers, he almost got to play Philo in the Weird Al movie UHF, which, oh. oh my god, like all of this is gonna blow my mind. But none of that happens because Destiny had another path for him. In 1988, uh, he uh, begins production. Of a TV show on KTMA. What is that show, you ask? Well, in the summer of 1988, uh, Jim Allen's bosses at the station ask him to find a way to fill a two-hour time slot on Sunday evenings. Uh, they have this two-hour gap in their programming, and it's a Sunday night, and you know it's kind of it's kind of a good prime time because like it's a Sunday night. Everyone's at home, you know, they got to get to school or work the next day. So most people should be home. So, but they don't know what to fill this two hour time slot. So Jim Allen goes over to Joel. They have lunch and they're like, okay, let's come up with a TV show. Let's come up with an idea. How can we fill this two hour time slot? Uh, Joel, um, tells to, to Jim, 
uh, he has this idea of a show. And it's a show that involves a human on an orbiting satellite. And he's kind of being forced to watch bad movies with two robot companions. Satellite love. <laughs> and then this is where Mystery Science Theater 2000 is born. 2000? Okay. So then Jim is like, well, 2000 doesn't sound right. It sounds too close to the year we are in now. It's 1988. So Joel's like, okay, 3000. Let's make it. Let's make it 3000. <laughs> 3000 3, is far away. Let's make it 3000. What's that another thousand? Who gives a shit? So I, I want to quickly, just very quickly, touch on Jim Allen. Um, just really quickly, just in case you think he's just some nobody. Um, he was he uh, graduated from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, he became a filmmaker. And you honestly can still watch one of his movies today. It's called Blood Hook. And it was made by Troma Studios. And uh, I do own this movie, so Rob, if you ever want to see this, we'll have to watch this sometime. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it we is, will. It is a it is a movie. It's it's a horror slasher movie that takes place in a small town in Wisconsin, and and the murderer is killing people using a giant hook. So <laughs> cool. And it takes place in a fishing village, so there's some fishing things attached to this. Okay, so now. So now they're so Jim and Joel. They had this idea for a show. They go to their bosses and they're like, "We're gonna put on this show called Mystery Science Theater 3000. We're gonna have this guy played by Joel, and he's going to introduce the movies. We're gonna show movies because see, it was a TV, it was a UHF TV um, station, and they had this library, like this giant library of just movies, um, and uh." So they were like, well, we're going to just show a movie, but instead of just putting the movie on, we're going to have these little skits and sketches in between where Joel and these two robots are going to kind of interact with each other. They're going to interact with the movie. They're going to make fun of the movie, uh, talk over it, uh, and all this stuff. Now, interestingly enough, um, they made a pilot episode um, where they covered the movie The Green Slime. Now the pilot episode was never aired. It was just a like a fifteen minute promotional thing to show the bosses at KTMA to say, "Hey, this is what the premise of the show is. This is what we're gonna be doing." And it had like a sketch featuring Joel, uh, Crow, um, uh, Gypsy, and then not Tom Servo, but a robot named Beeper, who only spoke in beeps. And only Crow could translate it. They would eventually drop that whole thing because I think that just ended up being annoying. That's my opinion on that, but I think that would be kind of an annoying gimmick. <laughs> Wouldn't be good for over time. So, um, so the 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 powers that be at KTMA they thought the show was a little rough, but they said, "Yeah, we got to kill two hours. Let's go ahead and do it." They built they built uh, sets for the Satellite of Love. Uh, they changed Beeper to Tom Servo, uh, and then this is where we get a good chunk of cast. Um, we are going to meet some people who are going to be very important to the show as well. 
uh, they hire on uh, a man named uh, Trace Ballou, and I think I I think I have been saying that name right all these years. I I've <laughs> never I have never heard him say his name. I'll be honest, I've never heard. I'm fairly confident it's Trace Ballou. Um. He's never been introduced to anything like you know, I nothing stage. that I've seen. I mean, I I've not gone to any live shows or anything, so I could be very wrong. I've only just seen his name in print, so I could be very very wrong. I'm hoping that's how it's pronounced, but we're gonna go with that for now. So Trace Ballou, he comes onto the show as a writer and a performer, and he uh, would take on the voice of Crow. Uh, nice. And then. Um, Later, I'm going to jump ahead just a touch. Later on, they will eventually uh, show the mad scientists that uh, put Joe into, Joel into space uh, and make him watch his movies. And they are now forever known as the Mads. What I'm going to call them the Mads. The Mads. Uh, so Trace Ballou also plays the, uh, science, the, the, mad, the mad scientist Dr. Clinton Forrester. Oh. And... Um, that name, Dr. Clayton Forrester, they stole the name from War of the Worlds. There's a character in War of the Worlds whose full name is Dr. Clayton Forrester. And they just went ahead and uh, took that name. And then uh, they would hire another writer and performer named Josh Weinstein. Uh, he was the voice of Tom Servo. And he would take on the role of Dr. Lawrence Earhart, the other mad scientist. Oh, so that's our cast for the most part. Uh, we get some other uh, another important crew members. Um, the only one you really need to know about is Kevin Murphy. Kevin Murphy joins in on the on the crew. He does some lighting. He does some writing. He does some set design stuff. Uh, he mainly starts off in the background uh, of the KTMA era. Uh, but the show gets its TV premiere on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 1988. Now, the reason why from this point on MST3K is always celebrated around Thanksgiving is for this reason. Because it debuted on Thanksgiving Day. Um, it was watched by a few thousand people and only a few of those thousand people got it. <laughs> uh, the station would receive some complaints from people who didn't get the concept and they were irritated by the immature junior high kids talking over the movie uh, but the more uh, the show went on the more supportive the phone calls got um, including one from a guy who just kept shouting more 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 um, so the, that's a dedicated fan right there yes indeed um, so in case you're thinking like, okay, this is like a, this is like a public access TV thing, right? No, they actually got paid to do this show. Uh, the station paid, uh, these people $250 per show and they would use most of that money to build the sets. They would build the sets, upgrade the robots, uh, set up the theater seatings and all this stuff. It was done very cheaply and on the fly. Um, uh, now, uh, eventually during these, this early eras in KTMA, uh, they would form, uh, what would be called the fan club, the MST3K fan club. They would, they started the fan club early on. They had a little, they had a little PO box you can write into them and then they would start reading letters on the show. That's also kind of important as well. Um, 
eventually, uh, Joel and everybody on MST3K would do 21 shows uh, for KTMA. And uh, you can find those episodes if you... Uh, do some uh, if you do some trading if you trade with people because some people had the foresight to actually record these episodes back when they aired uh, and so now you can get like nine ninth generation copies of these shows um, and the show was growing the show was getting really big um, where in the spring of 1989 uh, Jim and Joel would go to New York City and um, would basically shop the show around to different cable networks. And uh, at in 1989, in case you know anyone didn't know, basic cable wasn't like how it was right now. Like it was very sparse. There was your regular TV, and then there was very few basic cable TVs uh, stations. So in 1989, there was two different comedy networks. There was one called the Comedy Channel, uh, and then there was one called Ha. And so uh, Jim Allen and Joel Hodgson went to both of those networks uh, to shop the show to one of them, and uh, Ha would pass over the show. But the Comedy Channel, uh, because at the time they were A, just kind of getting started, so they were kind of eager for programming, and B was also owned by HBO, and Joel did a bunch of HBO comedy specials, like I mentioned, in the early uh, 80s. He had, so he had, the... he had a reputation, and so HBO said, yeah, let's let's do it. So they signed on uh, MST3K on the Comedy Channel for 13 episodes. Uh, they would come back to Minneapolis, tell KTMA, hey, thanks, but we are now going to move on to uh, Cable. And they will eventually leave KTMA, and but they're gonna stay. They're gonna stay in Minnesota. Actually, they don't move to New York or LA or anything. They stay in Minnesota, uh, and they form a company called Best Brains Inc. Uh, they make their they make a studio out of an empty warehouse, and uh, they set up shop in Eden Prairie, Minneapolis, a suburb of Minneapolis. Uh, and the very first season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 airs on what's now called the was was then called the Comedy Channel. Now, interestingly enough, eventually the Comedy Channel and Ha would merge, and they would become Comedy Central. Ah, uh-huh. so yes, suck it, Ha. <laughs> suck it, Comedy whoever. Well, it's the same network, so this is, so so them sucking that doesn't mean anything because it's the same network. Suck yourselves. <laughs> so okay, so now it's 1989. Uh, they debut their first episode on Comedy Central. I'm just gonna say call it Comedy Central from now on. Um, and uh, the first movie they did uh, was called The Crawling Eye, and the show like. <laughs> quickly explains the premise in the first five minutes of the episode where they they set up the whole thing of, hey, we're mad scientists. We launched Joel into space. He's I got these this. he's got the robots and we are now in a place called Deep 13, a cavernous underground lair below Gizmonic Institute, uh, which is where Joel and the mad scientists worked at. 
So, so this was them setting up the lore of the show. But then, funnily enough, in their own theme song, they say, just relax, it's just a show. So basically, just don't think about it. So, (laughs) um, sorry, I'm like, I'm kind of recapping the, the, that episode of my brain right now. Didn't realize all this happened. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So season one of MST3K and just anyone worried, I'm not going to go through all the seasons. I'm just going through the important eras of the show. Uh, but season one's important because they're still kind of laying the groundwork for the show that it would eventually become and for what the fans would know. Because it still doesn't have a lot of people in it. Like, we still got, you know, Trace Ballou playing Clayton Forrester and Crow. We still got Josh Weinstein playing Servo and uh, Dr. Earhart. Uh, it's during this era that they hire a young uh, stand-up uh, comedian who was working the Wisconsin-Minnesota uh, area, and he would be named Michael J. Nelson. They would hire him to do some light typing, <laughs> as as Mike would later on say. He would say he was hired on to do some typing, and then he would eventually become a writer onto the show. Uh, so all 13 episodes start airing on Comedy Central. Um, the only other thing to note here is we get our first introductions of the shorts. Uh, these little short films that they play before the actual movie. And during this time, instead of just doing different educational shorts like they're known for, they would do a 1930s uh, serial uh, called Radar Men from the Moon. Now, if you don't know what a serial is, these were these like short... 10 minute episodic films that all told like one arching story. Uh, But each episode would end on like a cliffhanger. And so like this one would uh, uh, feature this guy. I can't remember what his name was right now, but he had a uh, jet pack. It's kind of like the rocketeer a little bit. Yeah. Um, And, it would like an episode would end with him like falling off a cliff or something. And then it would be like, tune in next week for radar man of the moon and see what happens. Then you go in next week and then you're like, Oh wait, he didn't fall off the cliff. He actually flew away. Okay. That's weird. Anyway. So the first season of the show is, is interesting because the the only shorts that they shown were, were these episodes of this radar man from the moon. Uh, at the end of season one, um, Josh Weinstein, who I should also point out at the time, was the youngest member of this staff. He was 18 years old when all this shit was happening. While, like, Joel and Jim and Trace and all them were, like, in their 30s. Uh, so he felt a little out of place. He felt like nobody was kind of listening to him. And he felt a little weird. And so he would eventually leave the show. At the end of uh, season one, um, he would leave... Uh, which would fill in some gaps. So season two would start on Comedy Central uh, in 1990, uh, 1991. Um, First off, season two, we get the debut of Mike Nelson as the head writer of the show. Um, The voice of Tom Servo gets replaced by Kevin Murphy, who I mentioned was just a crew member. Uh, he then becomes a full-time writer and a voice for Tom Serval. And then they hire a another comic. He was a comic from New York 
uh, who is uh, named Frank Conniff, and he would become a writer and he would perform as uh, TV's Frank. Frank. Um, and it is right around in this era where they the show starts kind of forming into the MST3K that you know and love. It, it starts, you know, they, they don't show so much of the shorts of the serial type. They show, like, the educational uh, films. They uh, they kind of focus more or less on uh, more sci-fi heavy films, but they do, they did do some, like, boring drama films from time to time. They would do that. And, uh, yeah. So, interesting enough, uh, before we move on from this era to the next era that I want to talk about, uh, Josh Weinstein, after leaving MST3K, uh, he went and continued his stand-up career. Uh, he did a stand-up show on A&E. Uh, he became a writer and a performer on the Greg Kinnear show later, if anyone remembers that. I kind of do. I kind of do. I do. Uh, he got a job as a writer and producer for the UPN series Malcolm and Eddie. Nice. I'm not even kidding. And then Josh would then change his name to J. Elvis Weinstein because there was a writer on The Simpsons who was named Josh Weinstein, and people thought it was him. They were like, holy shit, you went from MST3K to The Simpsons just like that? And Josh, you know, the Josh from MST3K was like, no, 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 that's not me. That's another guy. So to, you know, so there's no confusion. He's like, I'm changing my name to J. Elvis Weinstein. So now if you see anything that says J. Elvis Weinstein, it's the MST3K guy. He would go on to be a writer for America's Funniest Home Videos. And that's kind of where he stayed for a very long time. Good choice. Good so that's, choice. So that is a, that is a history of uh, Josh, a.k.a. J. Elvis Weinstein. Okay, we're going to jump ahead just a bit. So the show was pretty successful uh, all throughout the 90s. Um, this is Nick's research, by the way? No, this is me. This is oh, all this is me. you? Oh, okay. This is okay. all me. This is all you. It's all in the hips. See, I just grew up watching the show, so... I didn't know all this history and, and what you're what you're telling me is is fascinating because it's like i want to feel bad for joel but then again i don't i don't feel bad for him because he chose his own path and he's like i'm happy okay we're gonna jump to 1993 the show has been on comedy central for five years or five seasons i guess i should say and um joel and his friend Jim Mallon, who has become the executive producer, him and Joel were executive producer on the show. They kind of started having little quibbles. They were starting to disagree on stuff. Uh, and so season five would start up, and Joel was still on the show, and he he would come in and he would kind of argue with Jim about certain things. And eventually, Joel was just kind of getting burnt out. He kind of was like, look, I like this show. I love this show. I created the show. This is my show. This is my baby. But at the same time, I kind of am not feeling it. I'm not feeling wanting to be a host uh, of the show anymore. I kind of want to just work behind the scenes. So on May 11th, 1993, Joel would announce that he was going to be leaving the show halfway through season five. It's going to be the satellite of love. 
he would in in a press release for his departure, Joel says. It's time for me to hang up my red jumpsuit and move behind the camera. Besides, there's an old show business adage I once heard Adam West say. Stay in the same costume, but before you know it, you end up signing pictures at an RV show. (laughs) Oh, damn. Oh, okay. And then he said he just wanted to be a behind the camera guy, and he he just wants to keep creating shows. He wants to be an idea man. And so on um what's the on October 23rd 1993 on episode 512 where they watched the movie Mitchell that ended up being Joel's last episode. Uh the episode uh featured uh Gypsy the robot overhearing a conversation between the mad scientists talking about killing Joel and Gypsy with a desire to save Joel. Uh, finds a way to get him off the satellite of love, <clears throat> which Gypsy does. Now that Joel has escaped, the Mads kind of scramble to find someone to replace him. In walks Mike Nelson, a temp agent uh, worker, temp worker, uh, who was working for the Mads, and they decide to send Mike up into space. And so uh, Mike now becomes the new host of Mystery Science theater 3000 now during this time the internet was a baby it was brand, it was still kind of brand new it, it wasn't the mega jackass form that it is now where anyone can literally say whatever they want you had to have a very expensive computer you had to have dial-up internet you had to have a way to get onto the internet so <clears throat> the internet at the time when i say it blew up during this Take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> but people were upset that Joel was leaving. And then this began the Joel versus Mike flame war of 1993. I remember that. In which people would constantly compare them, would say, oh, I don't like this Mike guy. I miss Joel. And people would be like, you know what? I'm kind of glad Joel's gone. Mike is a lot better, blah, blah, blah. And then there would just be these constant... I think that even kind of continues to this day of a Joel versus Mike uh, war that would happen on the internet. There were a lot of fanboys lost in that war. Yep, yep. Um, so, nobody cares, so nobody really cares. <laughs> so Mike would then take on hosting duties, and he would continue the rest of season five. And uh, the show would actually you know, continue on from there. Um, Comedy Central renewed it for another 24 episodes, and uh, uh, this is going to take us to 1995, and all of season six airs normally, but then at the end of season six, they notice that they have not heard anything from Comedy Central. They have not sent them a notice saying, hey, we're going to renew your show for a season seven. They haven't heard anything. And they didn't really know what that meant. Um, And they were worried. They were really worried. Eventually, they would would eventually send them a thing saying, all right, you're going to get a season seven, but we're only going to renew you for six episodes, which is weird because they've been doing 24 episodes a season for like... For like four years. So. 
Um, but wow, then, okay. but then the end of season six, another bombshell would drop, and that would be that Frank Conniff, who's played TV's Frank, was going to leave the show. Um, Frank, uh, not only was he a writer and a performer, he was also the guy that would bring the movies onto the show. He was the one that would go watch all these movies and would say, this would be a good fit for the show. This would not be a good fit for the show. He would make a list. He would present them to, well, Joel and then Mike and everyone else and say, here are the movies that I have suggested. Then they would go through it and then they would pick what movies they would uh, show. Now, another thing I should mention, in case anyone's curious, they're showing movies on a, on a TV show. How do you get the rights to these movies? They would do one of two things. One, if it was in the public domain, the better. They would, they would automatically gravitate towards really old movies that nobody had the rights to, that they can just air freely on TV and not have to worry about copyright or pay somebody for the rights or anything like that. But if they were going to do a sort of a newer movie, like, and I mean like in the 70s, 80s era, they would have to contact whoever had the rights to the movie and Comedy Central and Best Brains Incorporated would have to pay them a fee to get the rights to air the movie on the show. Standard business. Yeah. So that was kind of how they did it. Now, sometimes this worked out um, terribly for everybody because – the, the people who owned the rights to these movies had no idea what the hell Mystery Science Theater 3000 was. And they had no idea it was a show about a guy and two robots making fun of their movie. So they would just be like, yeah, go ahead. You can show my movie. And then they would watch the episode and they realized that this guy and these robots is like tearing the movie apart, saying how stupid it is, making fun of the writer and director and performers and all this stuff. And then some like threats of lawsuits would happen and no, no lawsuits ever really did happen there's a very famous case of a uh, guy named sandy frank who owned all of the gamera movies and they yeah. would show a lot of gamera movies on mst3k he would be pissed he gets he got pissed off at them because he initially said yeah here show all these gamera movies and then because of this deal he made he had to let them still watch the gamera movies and then uh, get mad at them because they were making fun of the Gamera films and Sandy Frank himself. So after that, no Gamera movies were ever shown on the show again because of that. So, Okay, so season seven of Mystery Science Theater 3000 was a very strange season. Uh, Frank was gone. To replace Frank uh, would be Mary Jo Peel, who would play uh, Dr. Clayton Forrester's mom, Pearl Forrester. Aww. Um, she joined the show, uh, and the roles were kind of reversed because before, um, uh, Forrester would torment Frank on the show. He was very famous for doing that, but now Pearl was tormenting Clayton Forrester and some fans didn't care for that. Uh, at the end of season seven, they got the news from Comedy Central that they are not being renewed and they're more or less canceled. Oh. Jim Allen, Mike Nelson, and everyone involved in the show kind of went into a panic. Um, and were like, we need to keep the show alive. So they kept they, – they, they went around again shopping the show around. 
but they never got any confirmations at the time of the filming of the last episode for Comedy Central. So they came up with an ambiguous ending um, that had uh, Clayton Forrester um, basically untethered the satellite of love and sent the ship into the outer reaches of space and uh, basically would just float away from Earth with Mike and the robots on it. Uh, Forrester would then... They, <laughs> They would then do a parody of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey where Forrester turned into a baby and Pearl picked him up and said, we're going to raise him <laughs> right again. And then that was where it ended. So basically they did that because it's like, okay, if the show never comes back, this is it. This is this is how this is going to end. We got our ending. You know, Mike and the boss are drifting away into space and Dr. Clayton Forrester's a baby. We're done. If we never get picked up again, that'll be enough of an ending. But interestingly enough, um, they shop their show to the Sci-Fi Channel, and the Sci-Fi Channel gets interested, and they're like, "Yes, we'll pick you up. We will. We will continue airing your show." And so they gave them an amazing deal. They gave them a twenty-two episode deal, which was. Damn. Phenomenal. It was like, yeah, they're taking a chance. So on February 1st, 1997, the first episode aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. But before I talk about that, I kind of skipped over a thing. I'm going to just jump really quickly. They made a a movie. They did. There is a Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. And um, the movie was just, I mean, it was a basically a primer for the show. You've never seen the show. You kind of get the idea. You see Mike Nelson. He's got two robots. Uh, and only featured Dr. Clayne Forrester has the only mad. And they watched the movie uh, This Island Earth. A few interesting tidbits about the movie. About the movie MSC3K, the movie in itself. It's actually shorter than the show. <laughs> the show is typically 90 minutes the movie is 87 minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then they were working okay. with an actual movie studio called Gramercy uh, Pictures. And Gramercy knew nothing about the show. They had no fucking clue to how these people were, what the show was about. And so they keep giving them notes on how to improve this movie. And they were liter- one of the things they literally were about was... Yeah, this Mike Nelson guy, can we have him played by somebody else? <laughs> like that was one of the notes that they had. <laughs> so the people who made the movie just didn't get the show, but the Jim Mallon was the producer of the movie and he made movies, like I said, so he was the director of the movie. He would like stand firm and he would like speak up for the show and he'd be like, No, this is a movie version of a very beloved show that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people love. We are not changing anything. So there's a lot of, you know, tension between the, you know, MST3K and the movie. It the movie would come out, but to very limited fanfare. There was no Hardly any press for the movie. There was no ads for it. They only ran it in like a few thousand theaters. Um, and interestingly enough, the same company that made the uh, MST the movie also made Barbed Wire. 
And the studio pushed that more than the MST3K movie. So the MST3K movie didn't do very well. And they just, you know, MST just quickly put the show onto VHS. And then they just sold it through their online catalog. And that's where that went. Okay. We are now in the Sci-Fi Channel era. A bunch of changes happens here. Uh, We still get Mike Nelson as the main guy. We still got Kevin Murphy as Tom Zerville. But Trace Ballou has decided to leave. He he decides to leave the show. Um, And uh, which is going to leave just Mary Jo Peel to take on the main role as the main mad. And she continues her portrayal of Pearl Forrester. And they change up the thing a little. They change up some stuff here. Um, see, on the Comedy Central era, each episode was just its own thing. There was no arcing storyline. There was no plot. It was just each episode. Hey, here's a guy, two robots, a bad movie, some comedy sketches. So some comedy sketches. The end. That was the whole. That was every episode on the Comedy Central. The Sci-Fi Channel, as much as they love the show, they gave them a suggestion. They said, can you come up with an arcing story? Can you come up with an arc? And so, kind of wanted to accept the challenge that they were happy to be on the network. They said, okay, we'll come up with an arcing story. And so, this involves Mike Nelson and the robots finding themselves in the year 2525. And they are hovering over the planet Earth, but it is now... T- been taken over by apes a la Planet of the Apes. Uh, we meet Professor Bobo, who's played by Kevin Murphy. Eventually, Mike would blow up the planet, and uh, Pearl and Bobo would leave the planet, and then they would uh, then just kind of hop around different planets, meeting different people. Um, eventually, they go back in time to the Roman era, um, and then uh, in season nine, they would abandon the whole arc thing and go back to just one, you know, each episode is its own thing. But they tried something in season eight, and I'm a fan of it. I kind of liked it. It was it was interesting. It was cool. And yeah, so that's the comedy. I'm sorry, that's the uh, sci-fi channel era, and it would basically stay this way for um, the rest of the time on uh, sci-fi channel, which takes us to the year 1999. Uh, they begin, they begin season 10 on sci-fi channel. And the first episode of season 10 is actually very interesting because we, we get some cameos from Joel. Joel returns and has does TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. They both return to, they both make cameos onto the show, uh, on the first episode of season 10. I thought that was pretty cool. It was. I, I'm gonna just say right now. It was a mind trip seeing Joel and Mike standing next to each other. I remember. Yeah. 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 That blew my fucking mind. The news would come that this season, season ten, was gonna be the last season, not only on Sci Fi Channel but just of the show. They they've decided just to kind of just wrap it up. Let's just go ahead and you know call it quits. Another high note. Yeah. Let's end on a high note. We're doing good, but let's just let's just wrap things up. So, uh, their final episode, which debuted on August 8th, 1999, uh, was the movie Diabolic. And the, uh, the, the episode featured, uh, the satellite of love, um, losing their tether to earth and it starts crashing to earth. 
And so they have two hours before the ship crashes into Earth. So Pearl shows them one final movie. And then the at the end of it, the, the ship crashes. But Mike and the bots all survive. They all live in Mike's very tiny apartment. And a thing a lot of people didn't know at the time. The, the last image of the show features Mike, Tom, and Crow watching a TV. And the TV is airing a movie called The Crawling Eye. Which, if you were paying attention, you would know. That was the very first movie that they showed on the Comedy Central era. And that was where that ended. Whew, okay. I, I, man, we're 15 minutes in and I still got some, some stuff to go over. Dude, keep this on is, talking. This, keep is on. Gonna, keep this is going to be the longest episode of Info Blast, I think. But, keep on okay. talking, man. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause for a minute to take a drink. You're, you're, you're spouting off a lot of facts and mystery. MS, MST3K is a beloved masterpiece. So let's just roll with the punches. Okay. Real quickly, let's talk about some. I'll say spinoffs of MST3K. Uh, we had a few different things. Um, so Mike Nelson would go on to create Rift Tracks, which is a website that does basically it's like audio commentary, but it's like the MST3K style of riffing. And the premise was to avoid copyright, they would just make an audio only track. And then you would buy and download the audio track, and then you would at home play the movie, like you would rent the movie, have it at home, whatever, and then you would play the audio track alongside with the movie, and then it would sync up together. Hence, Genius. Riff, Riff Tracks. Genius. Eventually, Riff Tracks would evolve into them kind of being like MST3K Lite, in that they would get the rights to certain movies, and then they can actually sell a, a version of the movie with the riff tracks already over it. So all you got to do is just download the movie, and you can hear the riff tracks over the movie. They didn't do that to every movie, obviously, but they did it to some. And then uh, Mike Nelson would bring on um, Kevin Murphy and Bill Corbett, who I didn't mention. Bill Corbett took over the role of Crow on the Sci-Fi Channel era and so it would be mike kevin and bill doing the riff tracks joel uh i should mention joel after mst3k he would form a business with his brother jim oddly enough named jim (laughs) they tried to make a tv show called a tv wheel for hbo but it only aired one time and it was canceled because no one really liked it Joel would go on to become a writer he would write for jimmy kimmel live which Honestly, I didn't even know that until I looked up stuff in this episode. That surprised the hell out of me. Uh, I did know, however, he co-wrote the movie, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. I, mean, I knew that. I just didn't know about the Jimmy Kimmel Live shit. Um, do you remember a show called Freaks and Geeks in the late 90s? I do remember that. I never watched it, but I remember it was it was wildly popular. Well, Joel had a reoccurring role on there as a disco-loving clothing store salesman. So he had a reoccurring role on there. Um, He would have some, like, voice credits. He would do some voice work. He did a stint on Jerry Seinfeld's show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Now, here's something really cool. 
So season four of Arrested Development ended up being a Netflix only show because it got canceled from Fox after season three. So Netflix or Netflix would pick up Arrested Development, and on season four of Arrested Development, featured a MST3K gag, and Joel would provide the voice for this gag, and I thought that was pretty cool. Oh. Then on uh, in two thousand seven. Uh, Joel decided he was going to do a another MST3K show, uh, but he was going to call this Cinematic Titanic. And the the premise was it was a very simple premise. There was no mad scientist, no shot in the space. It was just simply about the movie riffing. And he would end up getting former MST3K castmates, Trace Ballou, J. Elvis Weinstein, Frank Conniff, and Mary Jo Peel. Uh, they would all appear on screen, uh, and then they would show a movie, and then they just riff on it. Okay. Uh, they would do this from 2007 to 2013, and they would have like they would have like DVDs you can buy. They would do live shows, uh, and all kinds of yeah, all kinds of different stuff. Info blast. All right, so um, the next era is. On November 10th, uh, 2015, Joel announces that he's going to bring back Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes. And uh, this time he's going to be involved. He's going to come back as executive producer. And instead of trying to fund the money himself, he puts it on Kickstarter. He makes a Kickstarter campaign. And um, the Kickstarter... Earned the show six point three million dollars. Hell yeah! Which allowed uh, Joel to make fourteen episodes uh, for the new revival. Um, there were questions during the Kickstarter of like, well, where's this gonna air? Is this gonna go back on Sci-Fi Channel? Is it going on Comedy Central? Like, what are you doing, Joel? He would eventually reveal over time that Netflix would pick up the show, and um. He, Joel, would not be the host, nor would Mike. Instead, we're going to get a new host. And so enters Jonah Ray. Uh, let's talk about Jonah Ray just for just a minute, because I went through, obviously, Joel and Mike's career. Uh, Jonah Ray was a stand-up comedian. Uh, he's from Hawaii. And he was a he was a comedian, but he also, he's a musician. He also plays music. Um a couple of things maybe some comedy nerds might know him from. Uh, he used to host. Uh, he used to be the co-host of the Nerdist podcast, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, there was a show on Comedy Central called The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail. Uh, and the Wait, Kumail. This dude's from Hawaii. This dude is from Hawaii, and Does not look Hawaiian at all. And yeah, he's born in Kalua, Hawaii. Um. The Kumail in the Jonah and Kumail is Kumail Nanjiani, who would end up being in the Eternals movie. So that's an interesting little nice. There. Um, so yeah, so Jonah he was just a reg- he was just stand up comic. He did this. He did a couple of shows. Um, he appeared on a bunch of uh, web shows. He was on uh, Will Wheaton's Tabletop a couple of times, uh, playing board games. He's very much a board gamer, and uh, yeah. So that that's basically all there's about Jonah Ray. There's not a whole lot. The only interesting thing I can say about Jonah is um 
he made a EP uh, called "You Can't Call Me Al," where he does punk covers of Weird Al songs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that is awesome. Some some of the songs are good. Some of them are kind of like eh. Joel would announce that there's going to be a new host for the new revival of MST3K. It's going to be Jonah Ray. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, everybody was going to be brand new. They were, they were still going to have Tom and Crow and Gypsy, but then uh, the actors or the voices are going to be different. The The voices of um, the voices was going to be some comedians. I mean, you may have heard of them. Uh, Hampton Yount uh, was one of them, and Baron Vaughn is the other. Um, they're both, you know, kind of, you know, they're not famous comedians, but they've done a lot of shows. They've appeared on TV shows. They've done like stand up on like Tonight Show and all this stuff. So, you know, they're pretty well known in the, in the, in the comedy scene, but they would become the voices of Crow and Tom. Um, they would get an actual woman to voice Gypsy and, um, but here's the here's the main takeaway from all this. The actors that they would get to play the Mads, this blew everybody away because Joel announced that the two that are playing the Mads was going to be Patton Oswald and Felicia Day. Felicia. And the internet fucking went insane that day. <laughs> Cuz then you're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Patton, Patton Oswald and Felicia Day are gonna be the Mads? Holy shit! That's awesome. <laughs> um, so they would they eventually uh aired uh or launched the show on uh April 2017. Um, if you were a Kickstarter backer, which I was, um, uh. Well, the thing that I got was uh, I got to see the show before anyone else did, and I got my name on the credits. Nice. And so if you go to Netflix, go to the first season on there, and go to episode six, Star Crash, go to the credits, my name is in that episode. You just did that to toot your own horn, didn't you? I did. <laughs> it's, okay. You're the executive producer. You can do what you want. Indeed. All right. So they would eventually make a second season on Netflix. Um, this time they would only have six episodes. And um, at the time, Netflix was kind of being weird because they were, at the time, you know, they're always weird. <laughs> but, but they were being weird with their shows because they wanted to, to, to dive into the binging habits of people they wanted people to watch everything all at once and so they told mst3k like hey can you again this is gonna sound familiar can you do a long arc where people would want to feel like watching one episode after another and so mst3k solution to this was create a season that's simply called the gauntlet and the premise of the season was they were showing all six of the movies at like all in a row. Uh, and Jonah was going to be watching these like all in one row, like in one day. Oh Jesus! And if you were to, if you were to actually sit there and binge 
these, you would be doing this along with him. That was the premise of that show. Um, for one reason or another, though, this didn't work, and Netflix canceled it in November 2018. Now, you, you might think this is the end of the story. This is the end of the episode. But no, we get a second revival! Yes! <laughs> Joel, lives. Joel, Joel on April Joel? 7th. Joel, sorry, I'm, I'm saying like all kinds of names at the same time. Joel. Joel, Joel on April 7th, 2021, would launch a second Kickstarter to revive the show again. But this time he's like, you know what? We're going to make our own goddamn streaming service. And he invents a thing called the Gizmoplex. And the, 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 the thing about this is instead of having to go to Netflix or Hulu or whatever, he's just like, we're going to make our own goddamn streaming service. We're going to put the, we're going to put the current shows on there. Hey, I still have the rights to all the old episodes. You can watch the old episodes on there. Um, and he launched at, after, uh, the Kickstarter, met uh reached the two million dollar goal in the first 25 hours and at the end of it he would raise 6.5 million which is a point two million more than the initial kickstarter um and so as a result of this we're going to get 13 new episodes two of those episodes joel is going to go back and riff himself and we're going to get some Halloween and Christmas episodes. Now, nice. that is where we are today as this recording of this episode. Uh, because only the first episode of the brand new season uh, launched actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, of course, went and backed this new revival. And I got access to uh, I wish I did, to this but... <clears throat> To this to this show, and I'm gonna say it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good if you were a fan of the Jonah Ray, and it's still all the same people. It's Jonah, Felicia Day, Pat Oswald, all of them. They've all they all come back. Um, they're just gonna do something different, and I'm kind of curious how they're gonna do this. Is they they are gonna change out the hosts? Hmm. Jonah's gonna uh, step away for a, a couple episodes. Joel's gonna fill in. They have a uh, a woman named Emily who's gonna step in and do some riffing. Uh, I think I heard that Mary Jo Peel was going to come and do some stuff. Uh, yeah, so um, so that's what's that's what's going on right now. So as we stand, as we as we as I wrap this up, um, it's still MST3K is still kicking. They're still got a fan base. I mean, six point five million dollars in twenty twenty one. Damn good. Like you never would have thought, you know, during during the <laughs> pandemic, they raised that much money. Yeah. Well, exactly. also, I mean, people weren't, you know, they weren't going out and spending money on gas. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's how much gas costs now. Oh! oh! <laughs> 6.5 million. That gives me half a tank. Okay. Um. So, uh, that's it. As of, as of right now, that's where we are. Um, Rift, ta- Rift Tracks is still going along, kicking along. Oh, and Joel has said. There's no bad blood between old MST3K folks. He says, hey, it's an open invitation. Anyone who wants to come on and, you know, come on the show, they're welcome to. That includes Mike and Bill and Kevin and Trace and all of them. Uh, He says, hey, you guys can more than happy to come along. Even 
Um, uh, Jim Mallon, who he had the falling out with, they kind of uh, patched things up a little bit, and he welcomed him back onto the show as well. Nice. So there's no, so that's how that's how nice of a guy Joel is. Um, uh, he he, you know, it's hard to get into a into a beef with him because he's just such a nice guy, and he's just gonna be like, okay, I forgive you. Yeah, come on, let's hug this out, and let's let's make some TV shows. So it's the Wisconsin, you know, they're they're very um, friendly people. Indeed. Okay, that's all I got. So, uh, Rob, I know this is the part where you expound on stuff. So the floor is I, now yours. What do you I got to say? To do it while you talk too, just to piss you off. But you know, I mean, you, you, you saw past that. You saw past that. It's probably the fact that I've done like three other shows with you, and I know how you are by now. Fair, fair. Which, by um, the way, Joel, if you're listening to this, you have two people right here that would love to be on your show. <laughs> oh hell yeah, I'm down. I'm totally down. Uh, well, I guess I can ask, do you have a favorite episode? Uh, my favorite episode, um, trying to remember the name of it. It was a Godzilla one. It was Godzilla versus Mothra, you know? Okay. They ripped on that one. And it was just funny because at one point, you know, if, if I'm, if my memory serves me correct, because there's a lot of Godzilla movies and they keep on intertwining that shit. The one part where the, there's an individual who holds out her hands and the guardians of Mothra are there, and you know it's supposed to be like two twin Asian women who are who are fairies or something like that. You know they have wings or whatever. And they're like, oh, where are the oh. guardians? Yeah, they ripped on that, and I was just I I could not stop laughing the entire time because it's like that part deserved to be ripped on, you know. So that's that's my all time favorite. Um, as far as the information you have provided for me, I just I gotta say. I'm, I was a huge Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan, um, uh-huh. but then, you know, I grew up and I started working full-time jobs and became an adult and lost my my childlike innocence. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I love I love the show. If it's ever on, like, um, I watch it on uh, Pluto TV all the time. Okay. Uh, if I ever get a chance to watch it you know if it's on tv if everybody's like you know well, what do you guys want to watch i'm like dude uh put on mystery science theater 3000 whatever's on i don't care especially if if felicia day is on there which felicia i love you i said that to a lot of women in my lifetime but you're number you're in the top 10 <laughs> definitely in the um, top 10 oh you know actually i kind of want to touch on one more thing Okay. Just really quickly, um, everyone else's post uh, MST through K career. I, I do want to talk about the books that got written. Um, Mike Nelson wrote some books. He wrote a novel uh, called Death Rat. I highly recommend it. Death. Uh, it's a hilarious novel. Um, I can't even begin to explain the premise. It's a very silly premise, uh, but it involves fictionalized versions of Prince and Tom Clancy. And I can't even begin to tell you how those two things go together. But Mike also wrote uh, a book of essays called Mind Over Matters. And they are the fucking funniest series of essays I've ever read in my life. And then he wrote a a movie book uh, called, um, it's like Mega Movie Cheese or something. Hmm. And uh, it was basically him doing Mike Nelson's movie Mega Cheese. Yeah, that's what it's called. It was basically him doing like movie reviews, like written movie reviews. And they would he would like touch on um, uh, at, at the time he would do like uh, Patch Adams, 
uh, chairman of the board with Carrot Top. Um, what else? Like he he would review all these movies. Hey, that's interesting. What? I'm gonna show you this, Rob. I go to Mike Nelson's author page on Amazon, and uh, a certain somebody you know is on here. Would you look at that? There's a <laughs> there's a guy named Jason Sutto on Mike Nelson's page. Look at that. It's like Amazon knows. How, how how badly did you sleep with Mike Nelson to get that? I'm just curious. Very, 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 very badly. Let's not talk okay. about that right now. Okay. Uh, anywho, um, yeah, I would recommend Mike's books. All of them are hilarious. They're very good. Uh, Kevin Murphy would go on to write a book. Uh, it was called uh, A Year at the Movies, where for during the year 20, uh, 2001, Every day in 2001, he would go see a movie in a movie theater. Jesus. And then he would, he would write about – it was mainly more about the experience and sometimes would review the movie that he would see. And he talks about going to see a movie on 9-11. And I do recommend the book mainly just for that because it's very touching, like what he had to say about everything. Um but it's also very interesting. It's a very interesting project he took upon himself that to do this, because uh, while he was doing that, he was also traveling, and he was traveling, you know, because he was retired from MST3K at this point. He had no Rift Tracks hadn't started up yet, and this is just like a year or two after MST3K, so he had some time on his hands, and so he's like, we're, you know, he's gonna go travel the world. He's gonna go. I think he went to Japan. He went to Norway. Uh, different states in you know in the U.S. He traveled to, and while there, he would go see movies, and it was a very interesting project. So I recommend that as well. Uh, any other books? I think that's okay. That's definitely going to be it. <laughs> uh, my my favorite MST3K episode has to be. I'm torn when I when I get asked this question by fans because I'm more of a Mike Nelson fan than I am a Joel, but. I like Joel because he created the show, and again, he's a very nice guy, and I have absolutely nothing against Joel, all right? I want to stress that to everyone out there, but Mike Nelson's humor was more aligned with mine, because um, he's more he's more goofy, he's a little more risque, he can also kind of get dark at times, uh, whereas Joel really never did, and um, so... There's an episode um, called Teenage Strangler. It's not a very well-known episode, but it's fucking hilarious. Um, I would also recommend uh, really any given episode in the Sci-Fi Channel era. Like a lot of those are really fun and a lot uh, really funny. Um, uh, and uh, the last episode on Comedy Central, Laser Blast, is actually really cool. Um, my favorite Joel episode has to be Teenagers from Outer Space. I think I, there you I, go. I vaguely remember that one. So those are my favorites. So what's your favorite? Uh, leave a comment below wherever you're listening to this. Even if it's on your iPad player, just write it in somewhere. Even if it's, a, <laughs> even if it's telling me to put on pants. Just, just <laughs> give us a comment. All right, Rob. Anything else about MST3K? Uh, I would say for those who have never watched it, um, like, like Jason said, it's one of those, or you briefly explained it, it's one of those shows where 
in the beginning you could literally just pick up and go on whatever you want with it um even like even when they started making arcing storylines you can still go on and pick up any episode doesn't matter yeah um, riff tracks is fucking amazing it's hilarious yes. especially yes. if you get to see them live yes if there's ever if they're if they ever announce a tour and they're like gonna be near you i'm not saying you know drive eight hours but if it's like a two-hour drive or it's a, like a two-hour bus drive or, you know, you could take the train or whatever, go see Rift Tracks. It's it's going to be good. Um, it's lighthearted. It'll make you feel better, especially in the times that we're living in. You got to have a laugh. Um, this episode is very near and dear to my heart because I love Mr. Shine Series 3000. Um, oh, yeah. Growing up as a teenager, it got me through a lot of stuff. Um, and it made me realize that, yeah, people are shit, but at least some people try to make you laugh with their shit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's all I got to say. It's damn good. Thank you, Jason. That's, a, you gave me a lot of information. I question, I have to question what Joel was thinking because he was on, it seems like he was on the, the Chevy Chase track of life. You know, he got in, he was not really from anywhere and then boom, he's in Hollywood. Wow. But it sounds like he got he got tired of it. He got annoyed, you know. Yeah, I I think I think I think him, I think him being burnt out is probably the best explanation, um, because he was constantly doing the show. Like you know, he he did the show not only on Comedy Central, but he did twenty one episodes back in Minnesota. So you know, this was his life from like nineteen eighty eight to what I say 93 that was his entire life was this show and he probably just wanted to do other things he probably had other ideas he wanted to create other shows he wanted to write he wanted to probably do his stand-up act but he couldn't because MST was taking up most of his time because he had to you know perform on the show write on the show uh you know manage it he was the producer he was the executive producer of the show so anyone had questions they had to go to him uh and then like i said to him and jim mallon they were fighting a little bit so they were kind of disagreeing on stuff so i think that also played into it a bit yeah that could um happen. so you know I, I i i kind of understand that you know I, I can kind of see his point of view if if you're getting burnt out and you're no longer enjoying what you're doing don't do it it's fine you know do what you love. he he left it in good hands. He he left the show, and it kept it continued, and it still flourished. And you know he still got credit for creating it. He still you know no one took that away from him. And uh, he yeah it it's he he made a show and then he left and it still got a fan base. I didn't become a fan. I don't think I mentioned this actually. I didn't become a fan until very late into its life. I didn't know about the show until like 95 really? or 6. Yeah. Um because I didn't have cable in my house until 94. Okay. And um then when my mom got cable, uh I went nuts and just watched all the cable. <laughs> and uh at the time, at least the cable in Chicago, I don't know if other cities did this. Um Comedy Central had to share a channel with VH1. So what that meant was in the morning and the afternoon, it would be VH1. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it switched over to Comedy Central. And so I would be watching, I would be flipping back and forth from MTV to VH1 because at the time they both played similar music videos. Yeah. 
and then three o'clock hit and then it went to comedy central and i remember watching vh1 and then it went over and at that time they did this thing and i didn't mention this either nick i don't know how you're gonna edit the show uh, <laughs> uh at the time they did this thing called the mystery science theater hour um, i remember that where what they would do is uh, for reruns of the show, because the show was two hours long, uh, they would cut the show in half and then they would air reruns. And so they would only show an hour of the show and then they would say, okay, tune in tomorrow for the second half of the show. And then they would show part two. And so when the switch happened from VH1 to Comedy Central one day, it went into this Mystery Science Theater hour. And I was intrigued because it just started playing. Um, at the time, my mom's boyfriend was into like uh, those like Greek Hercules style movies, like Jason and the Argonauts, and yeah. uh, all those kind of movies, Clash of Titans. And so they played a um, which one was it? I want to say it was the day the Earth froze. And it was that style of movie. And so I started watching it because I was familiar with those kind of movies. And But then, of course, they were talking over it and they were making jokes. But I was laughing. I found what they were saying hilarious. And so I was like, what is this show? This is amazing. And so I, again, the next day at 3 o'clock, I went over and I switched over to Comedy Central and I watched part two. And I actually recorded. I have I had on a VHS tape just part two of this MST3K episode. Because I was like, this is such an amazing show. I gotta record this. So I only had part two of this episode. <laughs> it was so stupid, but I was like, well, I didn't know what else to do. But then during it, they would of course advertise the actual show, and it used to come on Saturdays. And so they were like, Saturday at 7 o'clock, a brand new episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I was like, ooh, I'm there. And so I would, I waited till Saturday, the brand new episode came on, and that's where I fell in love with it. So, uh, yeah, so I didn't get into it till like 94, 95. So I, I was, I was really late into it. I'm going to make myself sound really old. Like, I remember watching some of the original episodes. Well, not like the ones that you can't find anymore, but some of the original, you know, semi-original episodes. Um and just started watching it through my teenage years and made myself feel just really old right there. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and wrap this up before Nick has an aneurysm. <laughs> oh, fuck that. I want him to have it. I mean, no, yeah, we should. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, if you're out there listening, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we had fun talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000. We did. Um, if you want us to go into the history of another TV show, please write to us and you know tell us what show would you like us to dive into. Uh, I'm 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 a very pop culturey knowledgeable person. I know a lot about pop culture, um, so you know I I could always fill in for Nick and do some of these TV show episodes for for him. Um, but yeah, let us know. I'm a connoisseur uh, of knowledge, so you know, hey, show me what you exactly. got exactly. Exactly. So, all right. And uh, also, rabbitholepodcast.com. Make sure you – Nick never does that. Nick never does that. He never – He never He never promotes the website. Rabbitholepodcast.com. All right. Until next time, I'm Jason Soto. I'm Rob Branch. And we'll catch you next time. And Nick will be back next week. Goodbye, Maybe. everybody. Maybe. Nick's like, oh, I gotta edit all this out. This is too much. What are you doing, Jason? I'm never having you host a show ever again.
<laughs> but I should remind him, I'm the producer of the show, so technically I can do whatever I want. Suck it. Stole my pants. I'm naked. Well, I'm naked from the waist down. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I am not wearing any pants because I haven't done laundry. So I gotta go to Walmart. I'm probably gonna go free balling. <laughs> oh god, oh my butt crack doesn't show. <laughs> uh, need to zip my pants also. That's the bad part. Oh sitting here with the heater on and my cast in between my legs. My legs are freeloading everything. Oh, there was a small person in this planet that was in my house. He would be terrified. He'd be like, what's that mushroom doing looking at me? And yes, it is the size of a mushroom. Oh, Nick, you had to go and Go on vacation with your family. Who the fuck does that? Who the fuck goes on vacation with a fucking family? What kind of next level satanic horse shit is that? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. Re- Hello, I'm Jason Soto. And I'm Lisa Leahy. And we're the hosts of the mini cast Between the Scares, a podcast that takes a look at all the films Bloomhouse Productions have produced. You may not recognize the name, but Bloomhouse has produced a lot of your favorite horror films, including Paranormal Activity, Insidious, The Purge, and non-horror films like Griffin and Phoenix and The Fever. Yes, those two, but the horror ones also include Lords of Salem, 
Oculus, Ouija. Yeah, but there are also stupid ones like the Tooth Fairy and the Darwin Awards. All right, all right. So Jason Bloom did some non-horror films, and we'll be covering those too, for better or for worse. Ooh, ooh, like the Gem and the Holograms live-action movie from a few years ago. He did that. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, I guess. Anyway, you can find episodes of Between the Scares at rabbitholepodcasts.com or anywhere else you find your podcasts. So come follow us and we'll see you Between the Scares. Copyright 2022 Rabbit Hole Podcasts, rabbitholepodcasts.com.